0: Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by The Englert. In this week's episode, we're excited to share some arts news and upcoming work from our friends at Iowa Dance Festival. Then we'll talk with UI student and Scope Productions talent buyer, Kevin Trunda, followed by a conversation with writer, educator, and drag performer, Sarah McGirt, who brings us the first Best Show Ever at George's. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. This episode is supported in part by Goodfellow Printing, a premier sponsor of the Englert Theater. Goodfellow Printing is a full-service printing company with more than 70 years of experience serving our community through printing services and support of the arts. Visit Goodfellow Printing at 408 Highland Court in Iowa City or send an email to bob at goodfellowprinting.com for all of your printing needs. Witching Hour Festival, produced by the Engler and Little Village, returns virtually on October 30th and 31st. Witching Hour Festival is a celebration of art that lights our path and an examination of the creativity, the strength, and the tools we need to build a tenable future. Don't miss performances and presentations from Dana Smith, Beatrice Thomas, Dawson Davenport, Tamika Cage Conley, Stacey Walker, Heavy Color, and Black Belt Eagle Scout. More at witchinghourfestival.com. In today's art news, we're excited to sit down with the team at the helm of the Iowa Dance Festival, which, like all arts, have had to innovate and adapt to present this year's festival. 2020 marks the 14th year celebrating dance in Iowa City, and though we won't be watching at the Ped Mall Fountain or in a seat at the theater, the festival, which runs from October 15th to October 17th, Will feature virtual masterclasses, dance film, and a drive in performance, maintaining their motto of dance on the street, on the screen, and on the stage. For more on this year's festival, I'm gonna pass it off to Ingler Executive Director Andre Perry.
1: We're here with Aloy and Nora from the Iowa Dance Festival. We're so happy that you guys were able to join us today. Um, we're just so fascinated and inspired by the work that y'all are doing with the Iowa Dance Festival have been doing with it. And uh, just to make sure you know everyone out there understands what you guys are doing and why you're doing it, um, maybe you could just tell us what is the festival about and, and why does it exist?
2: Well, the US, the festival has evolved for the last 14 years. This is our 14th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And it started originally, Nora, maybe you can start it like yeah, how it started. Yeah, I, I
3: would say, um, We, with my dance partner, we went to a dance festival in Spain, and we came back and said, we need to do this in Iowa City. Iowa City is just the right, the perfect community to have an event like this, because it cares for the arts, and it has a big dance uh, um, group uh, that follows events in a dance department that is very important and brings people from all over the country. So, it was just like that, let's do it. And we did it. <laughs> and the first year was just was three evenings of different groups participating in the rec center and the public library. And from then on, we went to theaters. We came back to do the, the events um, on the streets in Iowa City. Um, and this year, because of COVID, we, we created all our events. And so we have three different um, stages, branches um, that have been like that since last year, but have been in action since the beginning that are on the stage, on the screen,
2: on the street. Well, I started on the stage to continue um, having a platform of performances for proscenium setting. Uh, which we invite from dancers, local dancers, and also dancers from outside of the state, and it's been very successful. And uh, then uh, we have that branch, and then we created the the branch, uh, I put the name on the street, for all the people who are like, more like to really reach uh, outdoors uh, for the community and for the performance performance to be outdoor and Mm -hmm. site-specific performances. And that was the second branch. This year, because of COVID, we we moved that out to go and create a drive-in live performance because there is so many artists who are hunger to, to perform and have a real audience, not just in the, on the on the screen. So we launched this on, on drive-in at the um, municipal airport in Iowa City in October 17 at 6:30. Uh, so that's the third branch. Our, our, on the screen, we've been doing it for the last four years and uh, we, we are very excited with that one. like this year, we have uh, entries, so admissions to join the festival for, uh, from 98 different artists from 25 different countries. So we are very excited to be able to bring um, artists and visual artists and filmmakers, to Iowa City and, and present that. And in this year, we are very, very happy to because we know that this pandemic has really affected it, not just morally, emotionally, but also financially to everybody. And we are doing everything is free of charge. All the three events on this on this stage, we are going to. We ask the the choreographers to send us already finished product recorded either on the on the stage and proscenium setting. Some of them, they even send them from outdoor performance like Quad City Ballet, they did a, a, a performance outside and but it's still on the, on the stage setting. And we are presenting that as some other artists that is doing something in Australia, uh, in the desert. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that that's the branch there.
3: On the street, we have collaborations between dancers and musicians. And that is something that we started doing three years ago. Um, And it's really interesting and fun and creative, mostly in these challenging times, to have musicians creating original pieces just for the performance and the performer. So uh, that's that's very exciting. Uh, Michael Mackey, Katie Roach, and this young duo Anna Koch and Vivian Shanley, who uh, play jazz music and will be opening the performance on the 17th. So it's a combination of different arts and we are hoping that people can enjoy it as much as we en- are enjoying the preparation of it.
1: Dance has always been so important in terms of being a form of expression. How do you find that this year is more important or fits in different need given everything that we've gone through with the pandemic and people being so separated, do you see a difference and why it's so important this year?
2: I will say that the arts, not just dance, but the arts in general really put people together and really, to me, it, it fits our soul. Exactly. It's like it's... The, the, what we need for our soul, it fits us. And with this pandemic and with all the oppression that is happening, it's experiencing the country with the, all the politics, the more we bring arts and education to the community, the community will gather, will get together, and will be holding hands to, to, to survive, to survive this, this um, pandemic that is um, yeah. affecting us, everybody in the world.
3: Yeah, I I agree with Eloy that this year, because of the pandemic, the arts are even more important than ever because we need to feed our souls. We need to do something or see something that brings us happiness and and so that is why we decided that this festival was going to happen. One way or another, we were gonna make it possible.
2: And that's one of the things that we were talking about before. Uh, this first, it was like a, like a shock and like almost like what we're going to do, everything is going to yes. shut down. But it pushes us as a human beings, it pushes us to become more creative yes. and to find different ways to get out of the box, to to find different ways to continue doing what we love to do. And and if we don't do what we love to do, then, then our lives it will be a little darker. Yes. <laughs> so yes. that's why it's that we believe that's super important, especially in these times.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I think we all have this automatic reaction to pull back when the pandemic started and just kind of stop and survey the field. But really at some point. We just have to continue to do the things that we do that benefit our community and our culture and bring us together as people. So uh, I think all I can say is that we commend you for finding a way to put on something that's obviously not easy to do during a pandemic.
2: Um, it's yeah. a huge task to put all of this together and the yes. people who are really open and is, that, that's why we are so thankful to all the artists and everybody who has been supporting us. IowaDanceFestival.org. That's where we go, and you will see all the three branches if they want to see the performance, uh, when they can see it and at what time. The 15 will be the, on the stage, the 16 on the screen, and the 17, the drive-in. The 16 and 17, we have also free master classes yes. that they, on, on the website. On the website, they can see like master class and click here, and they can choose from a um, great uh, dancer that lives in New York City. Saloko is from Iowa City, but she danced in New York City, uh, Hannah Wicks, and that will be on the 16. And then a hip hop uh, teacher is going to give a master class, LD Kid, uh, he's going to give a master class the 17th. Mm-hmm. And myself, I'm going to give a master class in ballet technique. Um, an approach in a contemporary approach, and all of these are free. We always encourage our viewers and supporters to donate, to donate um, for us to continue, keep going for another 14 or 30 years (laughs) to come.
3: (laughs) 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 And most most of the organization is working pro bono. I mean, there are no paid positions here. And and the performers, the artists are also, we are trying to pay at least a nominal fee, like a token of appreciation if money allows, uh, because this year there is no income from tickets, you know? So um, we are struggling a little there.
2: And hopefully we will be able to do a little token for the artists because we believe that artists should be paid. Yeah. And
3: And it should not work for
2: free. And which we we, we are really trying to make that happen, even if it's a little bit, but uh, just uh, we are really thankful for for all of them that they are are willing to do it even for for free.
3: Yes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today and for all the work you've done to make these events happen this year and not just this year, but for the last 14 years. Um, It's it's amazing and it's important and we are grateful. So. So thank you.
3: Well, and thank thank you, you for having us. It was wonderful be, to be talking with you. To have the possibility and to reach please, out. And-
1: please go to
2: the audience, to the public who is listening to us. Yes. Go to the Iowa Dance Festival dot org and uh, see what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if it is possible for you to donate something to, not just for this year, but for next year.
3: Yes, just to, to, to be make,
2: prepared to, to start keep, to to keep going. To keep going. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Talking with Kevin Trunda, who is a fourth year at the University of Iowa and is the current talent buyer for Scope Productions, which means he's in charge of booking musical artists to perform at the university. We'll also be hearing from Savannah Lane, who is the programming assistant at the Englert, co producer of this podcast, and former talent buyer and general manager of Scope Productions. It's also worth noting that I was in Scope as well. Shout out one time for the one time. Uh, This is basically a reunion. So thank you both for taking some time to talk SCOPE today.
4: Thank you for having me. It's it's an honor.
5: It's exciting to be on this side of the microphone. (laughs) Okay,
0: someone tell us what SCOPE is.
4: Okay, so SCOPE stands for Student Commission on Programming Entertainment. So we are in charge of producing musical entertainment for the students and the community of Iowa City.
5: Right on. I think as two former GMs on this call, we're both very proud that you know what SCOPE stands for. I'm impressed.
0: Because honestly, I forgot. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I, I did forget. That is impressive. So yeah, yeah. It's, to- it's fully student run. The students are interacting with real-time, big-time agents, you know, tour managers, artists. So it's it's real-time stuff.
5: I think the other cool thing about Scope, in my opinion, is that it's such a great learning opportunity for students. Iowa doesn't have a music business specific program like some other arts focused schools and major music cities. So it's really an opportunity for students who are interested in music industry careers to network and meet people and learn the skills that they need to pursue that kind of job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So everyone in Scope starts out as a general committee member. And then after a year of that, they can move up into director's positions, in this case, a talent buying position. What made you, Kevin, want to pursue the position of talent buyer for Scope?
4: There were a lot of different aspects. Just working closely with artists was very appealing to me. Doing the programming was very appealing. So choosing who gets to come. Honestly, I think the biggest aspect, though, would have to just be seeing the whole process of a show from start to finish. So being there from the beginning, laying the groundwork for that show, and then advancing that show until you finally see the final product.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, I've never been a talent buyer. I was the GM for Scope for one year, but the talent buyer is I think a lot more work than people perceive it to be. In some aspects, it is the most glamorous job because it seems like you are the most hands-on with the people working in the industry and the artists themselves, but a lot of correspondence, a lot of factors, you're trying to catch them on a tour, you're trying to negotiate prices, students negotiating prices for artists like Lizzo. I think people sort of miss that. So for normal years at a homecoming show, maybe Savannah, if you want to take this, because you did a couple of Homecoming shows, what does a Scope talent buyer look for in the artists they choose, the Homecoming artists? What are they trying to achieve with that concert?
5: I think the biggest thing for Homecoming specifically is that you're trying to find an artist who will appeal to and be appropriate for many different kinds of audiences. So you're trying to appeal to not only the current student body, so obviously a younger, like, 17 to 24 year old crowd, but also all of the adults who are coming back for homecoming and families, there's usually a lot of kids there. So trying to find something sort of with that like mass appeal, it's not really the time to go super experimental or put something that may be hard to digest on Mm -hmm. the stage. Even if that's your personal instinct as talent buyer, you definitely have to set your own personal interests aside and pick something that will have that mass appeal. But also it's an opportunity for Scope to really show the community who they are and what they do and what's important to them. For a lot of students, unless they're interested in the music business, it's probably the first time they've ever heard of Scope because it's our biggest event that we do all year. And it's also a way to show the community beyond the student body that Scope is a professional business and that we do big events and that we do cool work for the community that is not just meant to benefit the student body, but also the greater Iowa city community.
0: Right on. And homecoming is always free. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Anyone can come. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it is weighing all these factors of what's going to appeal to everyone. What's in our budget. How does it affect the rest of our year? If we, you know, get an artist of this price range, Logistics. There's a whole lot that goes into it. But I think also in the past at least five years, something when we were in Scope, Savannah and I were in Scope, that we considered was, okay, well, how do we progress women in music? How do we progress people of color in music? That was definitely something I know Savannah was very passionate about. Having Lizzo felt like a really big deal for us because it was the first time that we could find that there was a Black woman headlining homecoming show. And now, obviously, we are in a moment of a pandemic, social justice movement. Those are becoming factors in. So, Kevin, I have to ask, what were you guys trying to achieve this year when you were booking a homecoming act that you knew couldn't have the show in the traditional way?
4: So, for me personally, I found it important to focus on booking an artist of color, speaking to the moment, and just trying to project voices that aren't heard maybe in this community as often.
0: Yeah, trying to like move forward the revolution we're already seeing right now or the social movement where you want to continue putting steam behind that, which I love. So the show was Tank and the Bangas and the Black Pumas, and it was last Friday, and it was a virtual event. And what I loved most of what I got out of it is both of the bands are super fun, like super high energy, creative, fun, engaging. That's what I loved about that show. And I really loved that you guys got some bands that are fun and uplifting. Cause gosh, dang it. The fun is hard to come by these days, IMO. Was that something you guys were thinking of genre wise?
4: Oh yeah, hundred percent. When thinking about moving a show to a virtual format, genre definitely played a huge role in choosing who I was going to book. There are certain genres that just don't transfer to a virtual format as well as others. And so when I was doing my research before booking both of these artists, they both had very good virtual sets. And that was just one aspect that stood out to me because I knew that I would be comfortable booking these two artists and that they would produce a show that wouldn't be boring for the audience and would sound good look good and just be engaging for the audience
0: i just love that it, you know they were on a stage like it looks like they're on a stage stage lighting you know it wasn't like they're just in the living room like it was real and it sounded like a live show Like it was produced, but it wasn't, it didn't sound like an album recording. Like they were performing it live and it sounded great. And there was also a Q and A portion, which Mm -hmm. I don't know if, is is that something that they had already been doing? Is that something that you negotiated?
4: Yeah, so Q and A's are starting to become more normal with virtual shows, but it was definitely something that I made sure I negotiated to get for the show specifically just because I knew that the show not being in person, there would be an element of engagement that was removed from the show. And I figured that being able to directly ask your questions to the artists and have them answer it in a live setting would be an element of the show that they wouldn't usually get and it would keep the audience engaged and just be something cool that they could look forward to, you know?
0: Yeah. And it is cool. They're addressing us as like Iowa, go Hawks, you know, they're catering it to where we are, which is really cool too. What were you most missing about doing a virtual event versus a live concert?
4: I don't know if it's necessarily what I was yearning for, but I'd say that the artist is definitely, when they're doing a virtual show, they're missing out on the engagement with the audience. So just seeing who they're playing for being able to see their reaction and I know that was mentioned a couple times by the artist like oh I can't see your face but you know if you're out there you know, type in the chat or something like that
6: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I think we forget sometimes that like as much as it sucks that we have to we can't go to a show like artists have to perform for video cameras mm-hmm. like and do like a stage performance for an empty room which is
5: mm-hmm.
0: not as fun not as fun <laughs>
5: I'll say it, yeah. I think that Kevin, what you said about seeing the audience, I think that can also apply to not just the artist, but like the people organizing the show in this case, scope. I think that that's what I would miss the most. And that's what I do miss the most about the virtual events that we've been working on for The Angler is you don't get that live reaction so now that you've gotten past virtual homecoming what are scopes plans for the rest of the semester and the rest of the year and how does it look different than scopes programming has in previous years
4: so in the past scopes primary focus was just to provide entertainment to the community and to the students you know it's in our name and now since our students and the community aren't the only people that can take advantage of this show or our shows in general. I think we have a bigger responsibility in terms of providing meaningful programming that has a dialogue behind it. We're producing them because we think the community you know, needs this show or. Should hear about this certain subject. That's the biggest part. And just be more conscious with who we're booking and why we're doing it and rethinking how we can engage people in a virtual format and still entertain them in the past or like we have in the past.
5: Yeah, that's really cool. And I, one thing that I really appreciated about the way that you guys did the virtual homecoming was that you did it on a platform where there was a live chat. I think that was mm-hmm. super, like a really good call because talking to your friends while you're at a show is just as fun as watching the actual show itself sometimes. So that was one thing that I was really stoked to see. I felt like a proud mom watching from the sidelines. Yeah, that was a good decision. <laughs>
4: Thank you. It's it was kind of awesome to see where everyone was watching from too. I know I don't know if it was me on the scope account or if it was our GM Dakota. One of us asked, so type in where you're watching from. And there were answers coming in from all around the country and Iowa City. And it was just kind of eye opening to see like the amount of outreach we could have without even having that be our, like our main goal was to like have as many people around the country watch as possible, but they just kind of tuned in regardless of what our goal was. And also another thing that the chat added was we got to get feedback on our show. So I remember this one comment that stood out to me. Someone had said, I had never heard spoken word poetry in a musical format before the show. And it really it really made me kind of have faith again in in humans because it was just so beautiful. And like, just reading that, like, like that touched my heart. I was like, Oh my God, like, like, thank you. You know,
0: whenever we're interviewing for new scope committee members, a question that has been stayed throughout the year is, is talk about a time where you have been resilient or overcome overcame a, a challenge. challenging situation i'm like okay well if there was ever an answer you have it now like and i love the way you put it of you guys are accepting the challenge of not only moving to a virtual format but putting more meaning behind the dialogue and the choices that you're making for the shows and i think that's
5: really cool so with everything going on has this had any impact on what you're thinking about doing after college?
4: So pre-COVID, I was set on working in the music industry, specifically live music. And I don't think that has changed. However, getting this position and also just getting this position during this time while we're in a pandemic, while we have all these social justice conversations going on in America, It has made me want to become a more conscious person in the industry. I'm more interested in producing programming or just shows in general that that actually touch the community and are integrated into the community so it actually has a lasting impact on people rather than just trying to make money off of your show or off of your festival.
5: I think that reflects what I'm hopeful that the music industry as a whole will sort of shift towards, you know, after going through all of this.
4: I think COVID has obviously, you know, no festivals can happen. So it's kind of stripped away all of the commercialization to the point where now all that's left is just music and
5: It's almost like when you don't have all the flashy stuff, like what's still there, you know, like when the big stage when the the big lights are gone, like is there still anything left? You know? If you have a mission, like yeah, like that's still gonna be there no matter what. We love to see
0: it. We love to see it. Well, you too, Scopies. It's always good to catch up. And I wanna wish you, Kevin, and Scope. The best of luck in the rest of this year in the programming. I'm excited to see what you guys do. I know you're innovating for always and you're working hard. So peace and love to all of you.
4: Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thanks,
0: Ellie. Coming up next, we'll hear from the multi-talented Sarah McGurk to talk about her work as a writer and an educator and hear about her best show ever. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsors. This program is proudly sponsored by Shive Hattery Architecture and Engineering, building better communities for more than 125 years. Working in education, government, healthcare, industrial, and commercial markets, we are a client-first culture grounded in collaboration. Our architects and engineers recognize the power of design in transforming the human experience. How can we help your project transform your community? For more information, go to shive-hattery.com. Sarah McGurk earned her MFA in poetry from the Writer's Workshop in 2016, and she's now a lecturer at the Magid Center for Undergraduate Writing. She also acts as an Iowa Youth Writing Project Fellow, works as the volunteer coordinator at the Iowa City Bike Library, and performs as the beloved drag king persona, Wiley Goyote. McGurk, it's so good to see you.
6: It's wild to see you over the internet like this. Your voice, your face. Ugh. I know.
0: So it's it's like not right, but it's also so right. So part of what makes you so awesome is that you have so many different unique interests and you're way super involved in the Iowa City community. But I want to talk specifically right now about your involvement with literature in Iowa City. You're a poet you're a professor of English, you're a mentor. I'm wondering what role have you been seeing literature play in people's lives as we're amidst a pandemic, a recession, contentious election year, social justice movement? What role has literature been playing?
6: Wow. Early on during quarantine, I would say it felt like everybody in every walk of life was trying to adapt and sort of be innovative in terms of whether it's a delivery system for an educational course or even just for, hey, how do we replace this fireside reading or this cafe reading? Mm -hmm. That's one element, right? So now it almost feels like we're turning a corner in terms of people being shell-shocked and feeling so much pressure having to to adapt to, okay, we've had some time to deal with this. We have dealt with it in the chaos way and now we're going to turn the corner and actually prepare unbelievable what feels like national events where poets are getting together. It's like you could not get a reading where all these poets would come together because they're not housed under the same publishing company. They don't teach for the same universities. They're not part of any one organization altogether. So outside of something like a global pandemic where we can't leave our houses, they might all do a joint fundraiser together to, you know... I I don't know what they'd even all do it for. But because everyone's forced to be doing online readings and, and performances, this incredible thing is happening in the Iowa City poetry scene. And outside of that, I mean, a lot of my buddies who are in the writer's workshop now, actually on the ground here in Iowa City, I think it's really difficult to have the same experience that people usually come here looking for, because you just can't sit and workshop together and you can't really make friends in a safe way. So in some ways it's becoming more inclusive and we all have more access, but the people who sort of came here looking for the magic, I don't know, I won't speak for everyone, but from what I'm seeing, it's not as, it can't be as social. And that's a major aspect of it that we all come here for it seems.
0: Yeah. So it's both, it's both sides of the coin. It's bringing people together. We see new writers collaborating with other writers we maybe wouldn't have seen before. So that's really cool. I think it's sort of just like a known fact that reading is just less of a national hobby pastime. Do you think
6: we could be seeing a resurgence? Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know the data. You know, nah, <laughs> on that? Mm. Uh, so I'm not going to be like, yes, yes, I'm going to speculate that everyone is going back to the classics or anything. I, for the first time ever, was invited to join a book club where we focus on on black poets and authors. So that sort of speaks to it. But I guess I will say, and, and I've just seen this in my own life and in, in Iowa City, we've seen people returning to becoming hobbyists, basically.
0: Ah, that's awesome. So you are a mentor in the Youth Writing Project, which has moved online.
6: Oh, yeah. What that's been like. So I teach a course called Writing and Community Outreach. It's mm-hmm. offered through the Maggot Center for Undergraduate Writing. And my students typically, when it's not COVID, my students are sort of trained to go out to the schools in ICCSD K-12 through and run these writing programs. And we try to focus on sort of the lower income schools as, as best we can. When COVID hit last semester, it was at this point where my students, my students don't typically go into the schools until they're ready. So like week six or seven. So at that point, they hadn't met any of the students. And it's an experiential learning course. It's a diversity and inclusion course. It's an honors course. I was like, how can I provide for them what they must have to gain <laughs> the credits? So we went online very quickly. Within two weeks, I told my students, we're going to build the plane while we're flying it, and I'm going to need your help to do that. So we, as a class, wrote up all the policies and figured out, just brainstorming, what will we need in order to launch this? We are going to need a Zoom link. We're going to need templates for emails. We're going to need a funnel for parents to sign all the documentation that we're going to need for it we're going to need our own little Facebook page we tried to do that through the Iowa Youth Writing Project and through the university and that was kind of difficult and then we sort of went rogue and kind of did it anyway and who knows
0: okay I have one question I have to ask uh we miss Wiley (gasps) um eh, for those of you who don't know Wiley Goyote is a beloved drag king persona that McGurk performs what has it been like not performing for so
6: long i think i'm turning into wiley like i just i just got a motorcycle and i'm i'm taking my class this weekend it's super wiley crawdaddy are you have you met crawdaddy ellie oh yeah he pops out all the time and he is not appropriate like for him to be in this (laughs) podcast Mm, x-rated baby Super nautical, X-rated, you know that kind. Anyway, woo, we'll back up from him. <laughs> I made a Wiley music video to the Fog Hat song. I made that early on, like that. That came out late May, and it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Liz Richards is in it. She puts her tongue in her tooth gap. That's why she was cast. We needed someone with a tooth gap so that she could like swirl her tongue in it because she's the love interest. And then Craw Daddy has a video coming out to Natalie and Berglia's Torn. I'm I've been editing that. We have all the content filmed. Crawdaddy, of all people, cannot handle super quarantine. He can't do it. He's like, I'm all alone. I'm in my deep sorrow. Torn is playing. Come on. It's going to be banging. So yes, music videos now. No live performances. Chaos Mm -hmm. music videos. I'm ready. You're ready. Get ready. Going to be nuts.
0: Everyone look out. All right. Here we go. McGurk with the best show ever. I must say this one I find extra interesting because it is literally right before the pandemic really hit Iowa City. Right before... So, McGurk, if you will, please set the stage. Where are we? What's it, What's the feeling? What are we feeling? Take it away.
6: Every now and again, our beloved Elizabeth Mowen. If you know her, you know she goes by Liz, okay? Elizabeth Mowen will roll into town like a little tumbleweed. <laughs> um, and she'll text you weeks and weeks before, and you'll completely forget. And then she'll roll in, and she'll like, so tonight's the night. And I'm like, I don't know, what does she mean? Every now and then, she will do these secret, she calls them secret, but everybody and their mother knows about them. They're these secret shows at George's. She doesn't post anything on social media and nobody at George's tells anybody until I think it's like 3 p.m. day of or, or something like that. And so, and yet, It's like people, before that even gets posted, people will be messaging me, like, Are you going to Liz's show tonight? I'm like, What's what? What is going on? It's like a hyper secret show because I can never keep track of all of her shows in the first place, but secret show at George's. And if you've been to one, you know that, like, you that is the one show. Liz packs a lot of places and everything, but that is the one show where if you don't, roll in early like you're gonna be standing or you're it's gonna be at capacity and you gotta chill outside
3: mm-hmm.
6: there's no tickets or anything it's just like come to george good luck but this was like the last event i went to before the pandemic I had a bunch of things going on that day but i was like i'll just arrive kind of late i'll come for a few songs i'll peace out but no it was super magical i did not know what was to come Love it when that happens. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the pandemic, I had no idea that this would be my last supper.
0: Oh, don't love that. Right? Don't don't love it when that happens. It was the
6: Judas kiss before everything arrived. (laughs) But yeah, it was one of those. So it was kind of a mysterious night. It was a jam-packed night. And I was in this position as one of her best friends where I was... And you guys all know, know this. It's like, oh, do I show up to the party or not? I, I'm obligated, but I also want to, but I have so much going on. It was one of those nights for me, at least. I remember, like, it was cold. I was a frost on my little fingertips, my fingies, and my cheeks. And I'm riding my bike from my girlfriend's house at the time. And I'm like, I gotta get there. I gotta, I'm gonna miss it. I'm like, I don't know if she's gonna start on time or if it's like a regular show, but I'm already an hour late, so... I don't know if there's an opener. It's like one of these secret shows where there's no info anywhere. Huh.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: A bike over, park my bike. It is jammed to the brim. Like you cannot go. Well, you already know this if you're a George a George's goer. You can't go in through the front door if there's a performance, right? So I go in the back. It's all the little scuzzies with their siggies and the rascal <laughs> tails and the weasel tails. And I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to get through. I know the artist, you know, like, are they going to let me pass kind of thing. Um, but, you know, skirt, skirt kind of deal. I just, I right. just put my shades on, my leathers. Mm-hmm. I hide the chilliness and I go, yeah, I'm coming in. You know, like, yeah, yeah, get out of <laughs> your way. I just like pull my little <laughs> Oscar the Grouch deal and roll my trash can in and go, hey, I'm here for this, okay.
4: <laughs> you know.
6: Exactly. I roll in, can't find a seat. I know it's like I know everybody, but I also know no one because it's all of these locals, it, it, all these locals that you that you only see like maybe once a month in Georgia's or Fox turn up for shows like this. In addition to all the Georgia's locals, like the Barfly peeps, in addition to all of the, like the Young Gun artist peeps and the grad student peeps, it's everybody and their mother. Yes. It's like, it's like those episodes of TV shows, you know, where they're like, we're going to bring back all the guest stars at once. Her ex-boyfriend and his ex-boyfriend and right. His brother. Yeah. 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 Like
0: Accurate. hundred yeah. percent.
6: So I roll in and it's a wonderful night and Liz plays all the, the top hits and everybody's happy. And, uh, I, yeah, it was, it was, I ended up staying for the whole damn thing and loving it because of course. Mm-hmm. I was sitting with these sort of strangers. It's funny because that event took on more meaning after quarantine happened. It would have just been one of those, oh, that was a great Liz Moen show. But and like in hindsight, people, it, it I, I don't know, it took on this like importance as the last, I guess the last supper, the last thing. And Ellie, you were there too, right? Did you sing? And I totally have
0: this same memory because I remember like, In the moment of that show, I was kind of feeling down because I was feeling for Elizabeth because she was about to go to South by Southwest. Oh, right. It was going to be this huge thing. And it was like that day South by Southwest got canceled. And everyone, everyone in town was so excited that she was going to South by and it got canceled that day. And I honestly just felt so sad for her. And I remember at that show, just kind of like having that feeling like, God, what's going to happen? Like, this sucks so bad. Like, what, how is this going to play out? But now that I look back on that show, I'm like, yeah, what a magical night of a bunch of townies packing a bar, laughing loud, drinking beer. We're playing songs. Someone else from town came and set up all the equipment pro bono, just brought it all in, helped us out, set it up. You know, I'm literally like standing on tables to get to walk through the place. And it, it really has. It's crazy how a memory can work like that, but it's just taken on a whole other light just given what has transpired since then. And now I have very fond memories despite being like in kind of like a worried and down mood at the time.
6: It was as if the universe was trying to, in some ways, give us this little... I mean, in Liz's case, right? It was like, Ha-ha, you don't get to go to South Bay haha didn't that excite you nah girl you're out um but then the universe said uh but we'll give you a bone the universe gave us all a bone that night for us to like remember fun by or something
0: listeners the next time maybe post pandemic you're thinking about going to the show you're not sure maybe you're busy remember that night at george's maybe think about going McGurk, I wish we could be having a beer right now, clinking, getting a George's hamburger, but you know, this is what we got. (laughs) And thank you. Thank you. RSVP is a brick-and-mortar stationery shop located in Iowa City's Northside neighborhood. Since 1999, RSVP has been an active part of a vibrant downtown retail and arts community. The shop has been lucky to play host to countless visual and book arts exhibits, literary readings, live music performances, and collaborative public art installations. With a commitment to connection and community, it is hoped that the things sold, the events and projects curated, bring people closer. This episode is brought to you in part by Taxes Plus. Tax season comes and goes, but Taxes Plus does so much more. They offer bookkeeping and payroll services for small businesses and tax preparation for partnerships, corporations, and trusts. Their small and dedicated team is proud to stay on the leading edge of ever-changing tax laws. Bring your questions to their seasoned team members and expect a warm and informed response. Learn more at TaxesPlusIowaCity.com. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit englert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.